Welcome to another episode of the Yours Truly podcast. I'm your host, Claire Tuning, a peanut butter and jelly enthusiast turned registered dietitian, yoga teacher, nutrition coach, and entrepreneur. I believe that happiness and health comes from the ability to truly nourish your body, mind, and spirit through food, movement, and relationships. That's what this podcast is all about. Together, we'll learn to eat gently, move freely, and love fiercely, and probably make a lot of puns along the way. So join me and my stellar squad of guests to learn the tools that you need to break free from a world of diet culture and negativity to fully, gently, and mindfully step into your own source of power. Yours, Julie, Claire. Here we go. What is up, my friend, and welcome to episode 46 of the Yours Julie podcast. If you've never been with us here on the pod before, so glad you found us. This is going to be a great, very monumental type of episode for you to join the Yours Julie podcast family. If you've been here with me for 46 episodes and counting, thank you for returning. And I'm going to be so incredibly honest with you guys. You guys know here on the podcast, I I speak from the heart, I speak from the soul, and I really want to let you guys in on the ups and downs of not only intuitive eating, but my life in general. So I am being totally transparent with you guys and saying this is genuinely honestly and truly, and I I say this beyond the shadow of a doubt because I counted. This is the 14th time that I have attempted to record this podcast this morning. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's something in the air. I don't know if it's like the clementine that I ate before I started trying to record this podcast, but some days my words just don't come out right. Does that ever happen to you? Maybe you're in a meeting, maybe you're on the phone, and you just can't put a sentence together? Well, if you've ever been there before, you feel exactly what I am feeling right now because this morning, again, I don't know what it is, but I feel that I can't put a sentence together. So truth be known, this is the 14th time I found it so comical and also very frustrating at the same time that I started tallying how many attempts it was taking me and I got so fed up. I was like, Claire, you know what? It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be the most beautiful thing. I just want to get this message out there. So why I'm telling you this is to say, one, I am by no means perfect, and I truly try to show that as often as I can. And two, by verbalizing that I am done trying to record and re-record and re-record this podcast and putting it out there into the universe, into your earbuds, your car speakers, wherever you are listening right now, I'm making it known that this try, the 14th try, will be the last attempt that Claire makes at recording episode 46. So you have have my word that I pressed the record button and I will not press the end record button until all of my thoughts about this episode are spewed onto this mic and over into your speaker. So without further ado, on a very laughing level, and yes, I took like two hours of a break after attempt number 13, I was about to chuck my mic out the window and I was like, Claire, 
don't do that. Take a couple of breaths, do some other things and come back. So I'm back. I'm feeling a little bit more refreshed and thankfully so because this is episode 46 and I feel like I say this every dang time when I record a new podcast episode. I say, this is a really special episode or this is so exciting and I genuinely do mean that every time I record a podcast episode because I wouldn't be speaking these words, I wouldn't be having guests on, I wouldn't be releasing podcast episodes if I didn't believe that every episode held some sort of value to add to your intuitive eating journey. But I really mean that this is a very special episode because this episode... The day that I am recording this episode marks a very special and monumental day in the life and the growth of yours truly nutrition as a business, as a movement, as my lifeblood, everything that I've put my work into for the past year. But before I get to telling you the exact details of why this episode is so important and what I'm going to use this episode to celebrate and what we're going to talk about in order to do so, is we got to take a little bit of time out of the beginning of this pod and honor the first segment of every podcast ever. Well, I won't say every podcast. I think I probably started this tradition maybe around episode 20 or 25, whatever the number is, but I always have a segment in the beginning of every episode that is the Yours Truly Goal Slayers Facebook post feature of the week. So if you've been here before, you know exactly what is coming and how excited I get about this segment of the podcast. But if you haven't been here before, the Yours Truly Goal Slayers is a private Facebook community that I run, not only for my clients who are working with me one-on-one to improve their relationship with food, movement, and self-care, but also I invite anybody else to this community who is really interested in learning more about intuitive eating and receiving some tips, support, and community to strengthen and further their journey. So the post that I'm going to feature this morning or afternoon or day. I'm recording this in the morning, but you may be listening in the afternoon. So the post I am featuring today comes from one of my current one-on-one clients, and she writes, one of my favorite things about this intuitive eating journey has been truly eating what I want. I find myself more and more often asking myself, what am I in the mood for? And typically when I do that, I end up eating something totally unplanned and feel so satisfied afterwards. It has been truly amazing. Thank you, Claire. So a big shout out to this goal slayer who didn't really even share this post after one of our coaching calls. She shared this kind of out of the blue, so I'm assuming she had a wonderful experience or a reminder in her relationship with food about how much more she is enjoying her eating experience and how much more satisfied she is feeling with her choices since she restarted her intuitive eating journey. Because remember, we were all born intuitive eaters. This isn't an ability that you've lost, you may just feel a bit distance and discon- distance. There we go. And disconnected from it after years and years of dieting or just receiving a lot of negative messaging around food and your own body from the media over X amount of time. So something that she touches on here 
that I really want to create as a takeaway for you from this little segment of our podcast is the word satisfaction that she used. She said, typically when I eat what I'm in the mood for, I end up eating something that may be unplanned, but she feels so satisfied afterwards. Something that I talk a ton about with my one-on-one clients, with my friends, my family, strangers on the street, my cat, (laughs) all of these things, kind of joking on the cat one, but you you know what I'm saying, is the importance of honoring both your hunger and your satiety or your satisfaction level after you eat. So, so often diets, you know, whether it's a fad diet, whether it's macro tracking, counting your calories, whatever diet you may be on or have been on in the past, those things typically target one side of the eating spectrum, which is physical fullness or maybe even lack thereof if the diet that you are on doesn't allow you to feel full because you are undernourishing yourself. And yes, fullness is a big important part of intuitive eating as I covered, I believe it was two or three episodes ago on the episode of honoring your hunger. And it's important that we feel physically full so that we have energy to get throughout our day so that we sleep well, so that we have proper hormonal function. Of course, eating to your fullness is important, but something that intuitive eating really brings into the picture that I believe is equally as important as physical fullness is the idea of mental satisfaction. The big example that I like to give to show you the difference between physical fullness and mental satisfaction is the the half-joking, half-non-joking example of if I I gave you 10 heads of romaine lettuce and said, here, eat this, which I would never do because that is not the type of dietitian that I am. But for conversation's sake, say that I did this and you ate 10 heads of romaine lettuce. One, you would probably have some GI trouble after the fact, but that's not my point of telling you this. The point is saying after eating that, you may have a sensation of physical fullness after you eat those 10 heads of romaine lettuce because there is a heck ton of fiber and volume in there. But what you wouldn't feel after eating these 10 heads of romaine lettuce is any level of mental satisfaction. Because even though your stomach may feel full, you would probably still be thinking about the lunch that you actually wanted until this crazy person named Claire told you to eat these 10 heads of romaine lettuce instead. So the point here is hunger or feeling your hunger and honoring your hunger can exist in the absence of mental satisfaction. And when these two things do not exist together, when you come out of a meal feeling full but not satisfied, you are going to keep being consumed with thoughts of food. So honoring your hunger, yes, is important, but feeling satisfied and eating foods that you enjoy, that you are in the mood for, that allow you to feel satisfied mentally after your meal is so important in your relationship to food so that when you stand up from the table, when you finish your snack, when you finish your meal, you can move on with the rest of your day without having to be consumed with thoughts about how, when am I going to eat next? Or I can't believe I can't have this food that I love. Or these all-consuming thoughts about food that we typically tend to get trapped in when we're genuinely not satisfied with the food that we are eating. So if you're in the process of transitioning back to your intuitive eating self, 
ask yourself this question that this goal slayer poses of what am I in the mood for and challenge yourself to bring something to your plate that one will get you to a place where you are physically full, but it will be food that you enjoy enough and that you are in the mood for so that when you end that eating experience, not only do you feel good physically, but also you can move on mentally because you ate what you actually wanted in that moment. So that is the conversation that I have to bring here on the topic of physical fullness and mental satisfaction and why they are both so important in your intuitive eating journey. But we are going to transition now. We're going to do a 180 of conversation. Here's my fancy transition music again. Da, 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 da. I think I need to come up with like a new little jingle in my head, but for some reason, that is always the jingle that comes to mind when I think of transition music. So there it was. We are transitioning to this very special episode, episode 46, and why it is so special. What we are celebrating here on episode 46 is the one year birthday of yours, Chuli Nutrition. You can call it a birthday, maybe you could call it an anniversary, but One year ago today, yes, in full transparency, I'm recording this podcast the day before it releases. I'm a little bit behind because of vacation, but it's all good in the hood. One year ago today on June 4th, 2018, I sat at my kitchen table, I filled out paperwork, I filed my LLC paperwork, and I was the proud new owner of the business that is yours, Chuli Nutrition. And of course, I had dreamed about this for years of owning my own business, of being a registered dietitian. So with this moment came a lot of excitement, but what I didn't know was going to come with this moment was a lot of fear and a lot of OMG, what do I do now? You kind of always build this moment up in your head of, I can't wait to start my own business, but once you actually do the behind the scenes work of that and you have this business that is now literally your baby and you have to take care of it, there kind of comes a little bit of the anxiety and the fear of the unknown because if it's something that you've never done before, there's a lot that you have to figure out in this first year. I by no means have all of the things figured out, but I'm so happy and proud and confident with what we have done in this first year and helping 40 people and counting, improving their relationship with food, creating 193 Instagram posts and releasing 47 podcast episode. And again, in full transparency, I had no idea how to start a podcast. How I figured this whole thing out was I Googled it. Lesson number one from this podcast, if you ever don't know how to do something computer-related, Google it. There will probably be an answer for you. But in this celebratory mode, as you can tell, I'm in a good mood today. I'm I'm feeling it because this is the one-year birthday of yours, Julie. I thought it would be appropriate to kind of walk through my personal journey with intuitive eating and all of the events that have led, well, let me backtrack for a second. Maybe not all of the events that have led me to the place that I am now, because that would be a really, really long podcast episode, but a lot of the events that have led to me not only feeling like a strong and confident intuitive eater myself, but has also led me to a place where I pursued a career based on this fundamental truth that we were all born intuitive eaters, and it is so important for each and every one of us to have a positive relationship with food, because at its core, our relationship with food is directly proportional to the relationship that we have with ourselves. So 
Something that I have done a lot on the podcast is I have talked about the principles of intuitive eating and tips for your intuitive eating journey. And I have brought on so many wonderful guests who have shared their own journey and their own story and their relationship with food. But I realized as I was kind of sitting back and thinking, what am I going to talk about on this podcast episode is I have never fully shared my story with intuitive eating. I've shared bits and pieces, but I've never shared the full story of how I became the intuitive eater that I am today. So it all started on Tuesday, May 9th at 525 in the morning. <laughs> LOL. I'm totally kidding. I'm not going to go all the way back to the day that I was born because that would be a little bit excessive, but I was born at 525 in the morning. If you are wondering, I'm still a morning person to this day. And I have often honestly wondered if the time that you are born has any correlation with what time of the day that you prefer. Anyways, getting a little bit off off topic here, but as I said at the beginning of the episode, your relationship with food starts out as a very positive one from the time that you were born because you were born an intuitive eater. If you have ever been around a baby, hung around a baby or a toddler, you know that they have a very easy and natural relationship with food. They know how to alert mom, dad, or caregiver when they're hungry. They know how to moderate their intake based on their level of growth or what they need to support growth. And they know how to do all of these things that we so like to complicate with diet culture and all of these rules that we impose on ourselves. So I, just like you, my friend, was born on May 9th at 5.25 in the morning in the 90s, knowing exactly how to eat. And I kind of view my intuitive eating journey now that I'm able to look back on it retrospectively, I kind of view it like a sandwich. And (laughs) you may be laughing because of course I'm going to make a peanut butter and jelly reference here. No, Claire can never record a podcast episode without a peanut butter and jelly reference. But if I think about my intuitive eating journey, it really is sandwich because I started out from childhood with a very positive relationship with food. I had wonderful parents. I grew up in a household that I am so fortunate and so grateful that I had so many positive examples of what it was like to enjoy food, to cook food, to be creative with food. And this really lasted up until late teens, I would say, maybe not even late teens. How old are you when you're in high school? This is how far disconnected I feel, but it lasted up until early to mid high school into early college where my relationship with food got a little bit rocky. And I'm fortunate enough to say that I emerged from that period feeling mostly unscathed, but I kind of look back with the lens that I have now of an intuitive eating dietitian. And I realized so many of my thoughts and behaviors and patterns around food, even as I was studying to become a registered dietitian, they were disordered. They were bordering on orthorexic, which if you don't know what that means, it is an obsession with healthy eating where you are so obsessed with making everything clean and everything healthy. And in that time, I didn't really realize that that was a pattern that I was falling into. Again, even as I was studying nutrition and dietetics, but fortunately, as I started my dietetic internship and came to the end of my dietetics career, my relationship with food really improved and really got back to this strong place where I feel like I have the strong, natural, and easy connection with food that I had growing up as a kid. So that was kind of the 
overview, the umbrella view of how my relationship with food is, of course, like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. It started out strong. We go to the middle of the sandwich and it was a little bit different. Not that it wasn't good. You know, peanut butter and jelly is amazing, but it was different. It was a little bit rocky. And then I kind of feel I'm like on the other side of the sandwich now where I'm getting back to that other piece of bread or I'm getting back to that place where it was as a kid where it was very, very strong. But when I'm talking about how my relationship with food started out, I like to point out two examples from my childhood that are so important in helping to understand principles of intuitive eating, but really helped me to understand now looking back on it, why I did have such a positive and open relationship with food. So like I alluded to, a couple of minutes ago, I am so fortunate to have grown up in a household where we were food secure, where I had two wonderful parents who they themselves had good relationships with food. And food was something that was fun. It was creative. It was something that I, from a young age, was involved in. So I always joke that my dad is a chef. He's not classically trained, didn't have the attention span, and he will tell you this himself to go to chef school, but he makes wonderful food. So he was the cook in the family, and my mom was more of the baker, the pastry chef, the confection department, as my dad would call it. And I learned from a very early age that I liked cooking way more than I liked baking because with baking, and this is a little bit of a teaser, a prelude for the end of the story, you have to follow a lot of rules. There's recipes, there's guidelines, there's a right and a wrong way to bake because if you break the rules or if you bake the rules, as my dad and I would always joke, then things don't usually turn out well for you unless you're a really experienced baker, which I am not. You might have a cookie that tastes like cardboard. You might have a cake that looks like a sponge. Like, I don't know, but stuff can go really wrong if you break the rules while you are baking. So I realized that I loved cooking. I was like, maybe I want to be a chef. Maybe I want to do things with food. And eventually that led me to being a registered dietitian. But from From this very early age, I was involved in food. I was allowed to work alongside with my dad, experimenting with flavors and spices and figuring out how to use a knife. And, you know, he didn't give a toddler a knife, but you know what I mean. I was exposed to all of the cool things that food can be. It was nourishment. It was excitement. It was something that we all came together as a family over. So from a very early age, I had this positive association that showed me food is something that is meant to be in enjoyed and food is something that is meant to be shared. So the two examples in in addition to this that I really like to point out in my relationship with food growing up is I had something called an open candy jar policy. So if you want to hear more about this open candy jar policy, go back to episode 33 of the Yours Truly podcast because I go in depth on this story and why the lesson from this story is so important. But a brief overview of this lesson is in my house growing up, there was this big wooden piece of furniture. We called it the buffet. It had many drawers in it, you know, where your mom keeps like napkins and like the fancy china that you're not allowed to use until a very special occasion. And you're like, mom, why do you even own this if we can never eat off of it? Anyways, that is what was in that cabinet. But in the left hand 
cabinet or in the left-hand drawer of this, there was a glass jar. It was pretty decent size. It was about the size of a gallon of milk, if you can kind of visualize that in your head. But it was this beautiful glass jar that was the open candy jar. And I call this story the open candy jar policy because... It was just that. I could go to this candy jar whenever I wanted. And you may be saying, oh my goodness, what kind of parents did you have, Claire? That seems reckless to give a five-year-old open access to leftover candy from Christmas, Halloween, all of the birthday parties. And part of me, and maybe an older part of me would say, yes, oh my gosh, I can't believe they did this. But now... Through my intuitive eating lens, I have so much gratitude for this open candy jar policy because what it set me up for was a very normal, easy, and open relationship with a food that is so often demonized in our culture. A lot of the times when I had friends come over to my house, I couldn't understand why they were so obsessed and drawn to this open candy jar and I observed them and they would eat so much candy when they would come to my house and that's a story for another time about how their parents probably didn't love how their kids were acting when they left our house all hyped up on on sugar and the glucose and all of that but something that I could never understand is why the other kids had this all or nothing relationship with it because for me When I wanted a piece of candy, I would go and have one and that would be it. And then I would leave. It was never withheld from me as a punishment. It was never loomed over my head as a reward or a bribe. It was just candy. It was just like all of the other food in the house. Of course, I knew that it was different nutritionally and that it didn't taste the same and that it tasted very good actually. But at its core, I didn't know that it was any different. It was just candy. Candy. I didn't have this weird, twisted relationship with it. I didn't put it on this pedestal. And I realized that I had the ability to go eat some, but I didn't have to eat it all to feel satisfied in that moment. So that is one thing that I had growing up that looking back on it now, I see that that is a perfect definition of how we want to feel in an intuitive relationship with food. We want to give ourselves unconditional permission to eat the foods that we love, and we want to have an open relationship with all foods, the the quote unhealthy foods, the quote healthy foods, because when we have this even and open relationship, we don't have to fear certain foods. So that is the one example from my childhood. And the other one that I have that I realized looking back now was so important was I was given full autonomy over the food that I ate. Now, of course, we ate dinner together as a family. I wasn't preparing my own meals for myself. We would eat most of the same foods, but when it came to to putting food on my plate and creating my portion and determining my own hunger cues, I was always given the autonomy to do that, which is so cool looking back on it now because that was my first experience that I ever had with my hunger cues, with figuring out how hungry I was, with how different foods made me feel, with how much I needed to feel both physically full and mentally satisfied. And again, as I was doing this as a kid, 
I didn't know that this was even a thing that I was doing. I didn't have these words to assign to the habits that I was establishing, but I had the experience because of my awesome parents. Again, shout out Jim and Brenda for all that you have done, but I had the experience to know what a positive relationship with food felt like in my body. I knew what it felt like to feel nourished, to eat foods that I enjoy, and to be able to make those decisions for myself. I wasn't forced to finish my plate at any given time. I knew that I could save it for later. I wasn't over hungry. And again, I'm so grateful that I had this experience growing up because now I can say that that was the first time that I was getting to know my hunger and my fullness cues before I even knew that that was a thing. So that was kind of the beginning part of my sandwich was I had this really positive relationship with food. It was fun. It was easy. I had positive role models in my life who allowed me to exist in this positive space with food. Now flash forward a couple of years, to be honest, middle school was a blur. I don't know if you remember anything from middle school. Kudos to you if you do, but I remember nothing other than the one time that I got a yellow card and I had to sit out for recess. Guys, one thing that you should know about me that has nothing to do with food is I was a total goody two shoes. I never liked to make anyone angry, make anyone upset. I was definitely a people pleaser, which still lingers sometimes to this day. But the moment that I got that yellow card. I felt so ashamed and I was like, oh my gosh, my mom's going to be mad at me. I have to sit out at recess. But truth be told, that is like the only thing I remember from middle school. But if we flash forward to high school, I was involved in a couple of sports that have a lot to do with the shape and size of your body. So I was a cheerleader. I was a gymnast. I played tennis. I did a lot of these things that I started making associations pretty early on that my success in this sport depended on me staying a small size. So what this kind of turned into was me starting to look into nutrition, me starting to kind of piece together, ooh, like maybe carbs do make you fat. Maybe sugar is bad. I started going into the depths of the internet. That was right around the time where, you know, we were using computers and I don't think social media was a thing yet, to be quite honest. I know I didn't have a Facebook or Instagram or anything like that, but I had access to the media and I started to do a little bit of research. And again, I didn't know the word diet culture at that time, but I started to to learn these messages about food that are so not true, but what I took them to mean is, oh, I can manipulate my body size by not eating certain foods and by eating a lot of other foods. So kind of like I referenced at the beginning of the episode where I was talking about this is the part of the story that gets a little bit rocky in the peanut butter and jelly sandwich, I really started leaning into tendencies that were so obsessively healthy. Again, in this time, I didn't realize that this was a problem and it wasn't anything super severe, which I'm very, very lucky that I can talk about this now. And I feel that none of that lingers, none of that remains. And I was never in true danger. My health was never truly at risk, but there was a lot of red flags that I didn't even pick up on at the time of of being a problem. I, I remember vividly coming into break time at school, in my high school, we had break. It was at exactly 10, 15 in the morning. We would come into the cafeteria and pretty much what it was, was a snack time for you to goof off with your friends and maybe get that last minute AP English assignment done that you totally procrastinated the night before. 
if you know what I'm talking about, then you know. But but what I realized here is I started noticing that I was hungry around this time, but I consciously made the decision to to not really eat anything. I was like, oh, Claire, you can wait until lunch. And then even when lunch came, I would maybe bring a yogurt and a little bit of fruit and maybe some veggies. And I remember vividly sometimes patting myself on the back and saying, oh, good job. There aren't many carbohydrates here. And again, at that point in time, I didn't know that yogurt had carbohydrates or that fruit or veggies had carbohydrates as well, but I was really latching on to this diety message of stay away from these foods. Carbs are bad for you. Fats will make you fat. I was really latching on to a lot of these messages and they started negatively impacting me. And unfortunately, this is the time in my life where I really started to get interested in nutrition and I realized becoming a registered dietitian was a thing. So I always knew that I had this interest in food and from a young age, it started out from a very positive place. But as I got older, my interest in nutrition and I think A part of what led me to becoming a registered dietitian was I started thinking to myself, well, if I become a registered dietitian, then I have an excuse to be obsessive over my food, or then I have a reason to deny birthday cake at my 16th birthday because I'm the air quote healthy one, or I'm going to be a registered dietitian. So I kind of realized that if I'm going to have these obsessively healthy habits than me having an interest in nutrition, me wanting to be a dietitian kind of smooths over the fact that I was being really obsessive about these things. So unfortunately speaking, I think a a lot of dietitians, and I, again, this is kind of a blanket statement and I do not mean to speak for everyone, but I think a lot of us in the health field maybe come into this field from a place of lack in our own relationship with food. We get hyper interested in nutrition, in manipulating our body, and we think I'm going to make a career out of this. And in part, that is what it was for me. A lot of it was, yes, I loved food. I loved cooking and I wanted to help other people be healthy in their own body. But there was a period in my own life where I was kind of using, oh, I'm going to be a registered dietitian as a way to cover up how obsessed I was with being air quote healthy. So This phase, again, it didn't get too severe. I never felt at risk. I never felt controlled. But I do remember, as I alluded to a couple of moments ago, on my, it was either my 13th or my 16th birthday. I know there's a big difference between those two, but I honestly cannot remember which one it was. I asked my parents, I said, I don't want a cake for my birthday, even though in the back of my head, I did want a cake. I love cake, especially cheesecake and ice cream cake. I knew I wanted that cake, but I remember saying, I don't want a cake. Cake is unhealthy. I want a fruit salad instead for my birthday. And of course, there is nothing wrong with fruit. There is nothing wrong with having a fruit salad present at a birthday, but it's all about the intention behind it. And I remember vividly, my intention was, I am so air quote healthy that I don't want anyone to see me eating cake. I don't need cake. I'm going to eat fruit instead. And again, in that moment, I didn't realize that it was a disordered pattern. I didn't realize that that was coming from a negative place. But now with the concept of intuitive eating and a positive relationship with food that I have, 
have now, I recognize that that was a red flag. That was kind of scary. That was an orthorexic tendency. And I'm so happy to say now, as I get to the part of the story where I transition out of this phase, I'm so happy to say that I do enjoy cake on my birthday. I don't associate myself as being a bad or an immoral person for doing so. And I truly believe that I am just as good, probably even a better registered dietitian because I have this flexibility and this this restored intuitive relationship with food. So as I transitioned out of high school and into college, I knew immediately, like the day I got to JMU, I unpacked my bags and I like stood in the hallway and I was like, I'm going to be a registered dietitian. And that's kind of a dramatization of what happens, but you can ask any of my early on college friends, any of my dietetics friends that I knew coming into college, this was the path for me, partly because I had such a great relationship with food growing up and partly because I was still in this space that I was having these obsessive disordered thoughts with food. And I knew that by continuing on this path of studying nutrition, I had an excuse at which I could continue this pattern. So getting into college was when I entered my vegan phase. And I by no means mean this in a way that is derogatory towards vegans because I completely and totally support anyone's choice in the foods that they choose to eat and the dietary patterns that they uphold because this, at the end of the day, is a very personal choice. It is your choice, what foods you put on your plate and for what reasons you do so. But again, coming back to, it's all about the intention behind it. So I I met a lot of friends my freshman and sophomore year who were very environmentally friendly. They knew a ton about the environment and the detriment that agricultural farming, meat farming, meat production can have on the environment. So part of me was leaning into this vegan vegetarian way of life because of that. But the more that I got into this, again, I was a vegan for two and a half going on three years. As I got to those later stages of being a vegan, it became really apparent to me that my intention was not to save the animals. Of course, I'm a a huge proponent of animal welfare. I love animals. And to this day, I still do not eat a ton of meat products simply out of choice and out of preference of about what tastes and textures that I love. But I realized towards the end of my vegan lifestyle that my intention behind this was to have rules around my food, was to keep my body a certain size, was to be very restrictive and very regimented about the food that I did eat. It was so easy to walk into family gatherings and deny foods like the cookies, the cake, the foods that I really feared because I had that label of, oh, I'm sorry, I'm vegan. I can't eat that. Again, I'm speaking entirely from my personal story, but it became really apparent to me as I got into my sophomore and my junior year of college that me being vegan wasn't about the animals anymore. It was really about self-imposed restrictions. And I started to really miss foods like ice cream, like cheesecake. You'll remember I said I was a huge fan and a lover of cheesecake. Even like the chips that I really enjoyed had a a powder on them that was made from whey, which is a milk-based product. And I found myself one day sitting in my room saying man, I really want these chips, but they're not vegan, so I can't have them. And it was such a mental battle at that point that I really wanted something, but I was telling myself, no, Claire, you can't have it. And in that moment, I realized this 
was a little bit disordered. I said, Claire, you're not really enjoying the way that you are eating anymore. You miss foods like your yogurts and your cheeses and your life right now is, is coming at a, at a detriment or these habits rather are coming at a detriment to your lifestyle. So at that point in time, I think I was about a junior maybe in college, a sophomore or a junior, I started getting back into a pattern of food that I loved. I I had this one experiment in class where we had to track our food intake for three days using my fitness pal. And I, I always joke, but it's really not a joke in saying that in these three or four days, especially right as it was the time that I was transitioning out of this obsessive, very, you know, health focused vegan relationship with food that these added three or four days of this assignment at the end was, was a a huge detriment to my relationship with food. And I always argue that in those three or four days, more harm was done to my relationship with food than like my entire childhood combined. So I, I think I need to write back to the college, to JMU and say, please don't make anyone do that assignment anymore because it had a huge negative impact on me. But right around that time where I was transitioning out of this veganism state and I was reintegrating food that I genuinely loved into my lifestyle, and I realized macro tracking was something that I hated, that I never wanted to do ever again, is when I really started getting back to my roots of figuring out what foods that I enjoyed, figuring out what foods made me feel good. And interestingly enough, as I started transitioning out of this vegan stage of my life, my digestion improved. My energy improved, the health of my hair and my nails improved. Maybe it was because I was eating a greater variety of food. Maybe it was just because I was eating more food in general. But I really started to feel a lot better and a lot more connected to my intuitive eating roots. So this was about the time when I was wrapping up my degree that I actually went to Ohio, which is a totally wild card move. I went to Ohio for my dietetic internship, completed that at the Ohio State University. And I had a wonderful time there. And this was about the time that, you know, my relationship with food was feeling really restored to what it was when I was a kid. It felt easy. It felt natural. I didn't feel the anxiety around food. And I really started doing a lot of research into the topic of other ways that I could teach nutrition because I knew that I wanted to start my own business. I knew that working in the hospital setting, working in a community setting, working in a long-term care facility, those were all wonderful places to be. But for me to feel satisfied and empowered and just like on fire with what I do in my career, I knew that I needed to become an entrepreneur. This is a story entirely its own, but I grew up in an entrepreneurial family. I had seen along with what it was like to have a positive positive relationship with food. I had seen what it was like to start your own business and to grow something out of nothing. And I knew that this was something that I had to do, but I also knew that I couldn't teach a version of nutrition that I myself didn't love, that I myself didn't live day in and day out. And that I had a, an ethical problem with, because as I told you a couple moments ago, these very restrictive patterns of eating that I dabbled with when I was younger the macro tracking that I was introduced to in my dietetics career, I knew that since I no longer lived that way and since I saw the harm that that brought on me, that I couldn't in I couldn't feel right deep down in my bones teaching those habits 
to someone else. So I, I knew there was another way that I had to teach nutrition. I just didn't know how. So towards the end of my dietetic internship, I had started a blog. I was writing recipes. I was like that typical millennial female who starts a blog and starts writing about food. And I had such a wonderful time with it. And it was about that time that I started taking free clients. I was like, I know I want to coach. I know I want to find my voice with nutrition. And the best way to do that is ask people where they need help. So I was, was lucky enough that 10 or 12 people volunteered and throughout the final months of my dietetic internship, I coached acquaintances, families, and not families, but family and friends and, and trying to figure out my voice with nutrition, answering their questions, really putting a lot of the information that I knew to be true about food that I was taught in RD school and applying it into the coaching world. Because if any RDs are out there listening, you know that what we learn in the nutrition field is wonderful. We need all of this information and background to help people, but coaching is an entirely different thing. So throughout the last couple of months, I dabbled. I coached, I established relationships, and I started to find my own voice with nutrition that wasn't macro-focused. And it was around this time that I don't know how it happened. I think it like fell down from the sky, hit me in the face, and the angel sang, Claire, read this book. Because I found the book Intuitive Eating, a revolutionary program that works by Elise Resch and Evelyn Triboli. I hope I didn't botch their names. That was right off the top of my head. But this is the pioneer book written on intuitive eating, the science behind it, why it works, why it is so important in establishing a healthy relationship with food for life and why we're all born this way. I read this book and all I could think to myself was, oh my goodness, I have found the secret because it came so full circle to me in that moment that how I grew up in my relationship with a kid, everything that I did so naturally, everything that I struggled with in in the middle of my, my life as it is now, and then everything that I was able to see looking back on that initial easy relationship with food, this book described. It gave me the words, it gave me the concepts, it gave me the tools to describe the version of nutrition that I had been living, that I had distanced myself from a little bit throughout college and late high school, but I had really gotten back to at the end of my dietetic internship. And in that moment, I remember reading this book so vividly because it was like the most life-changing experience I have ever had with a book. I thought to myself, this is the version of nutrition that I have been living, that everyone was meant to live, and that I especially was meant to teach. This is the reason, this is going to sound so dramatic when I say it, but this is the reason why I was put on this earth was to live my own relationship with food, to find this book, and then combine the two. So the science, everything that I had learned in RD school, along with my own practical experience and having my own positive relationship with food. And it was my duty to help other people find that positive relationship with food in their own lives again. So that brings me to where I am in present day. It is now June 4th, 2019. 
And it's been an entire year since I sat there at my kitchen table and I filed the paperwork and I was like, oh my gosh, what do I do now? I turned to the book Intuitive Eating and I really found my roots, not only in the type of nutrition that I practice every single day, but in also the type of nutrition that I preach to my clients on my social media platforms, to strangers on the street, to my cat, like I said at the beginning of this episode. And this whole process, even though it has been so, so, so challenging. It has had so many ups and downs. It is so incredibly rewarding. So I really have to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you, thank you, thank you. Whether you're a longtime listener, whether you are a first time listener and you're like, who is this crazy person spewing her whole entire life story into this mic? Thank you so much for listening for being you and for holding space for me to be me because something that has been so important to me in owning my own business is doing it in a way where I can be my authentic self because I feel when you are fully standing in your own power and other people see that, you give them permission and you hold the space for them to do the same thing. So thank you for being you and allowing me to be me. I am so incredibly grateful that everything on this journey has afforded me and Guys, let's be real. We're only one year into this. We have so much more to go, and I am so incredibly excited for all of the events, the life experiences, the people that this journey will bring into my life over the next indefinite amount of time that I will be doing this. So, that being said, I want to give a special, very, very special shout out to all of my clients who I have worked with one-on-one throughout this first year of being in business. This experience, this movement, yours truly nutrition, I as a dietitian would not exist if it were not for you. Well, I as a human would exist. (laughs) Thanks mom and dad. I exist because of you guys, but this business and this movement would not exist without the support from you guys, especially my one-on-one clients. So that being said, I have worked with 40 incredible people and counting in this first year of business. And I am so proud of the strides that each each and every one of these people have made in improving their own relationship with food and their own bodies and really getting back to that place where they can reconnect with that version of the intuitive eater that they were born to be. And I am looking to grow my squad. So it is June now, and I have exactly three spots open in my one-on-one intuitive eating and gentle nutrition coaching program. So if you are hearing this message, if anything that I talked about in my personal journey or anything I have talked about before on the podcast, in my Facebook community, if anything resonates with you, please Please, I challenge you, I'm holding the space for you to reach out and fill out an application to join the one-on-one coaching program. This program is by application only, meaning I really want to make sure that you are the right fit for the program and I am the right fit for you. So in order to do that, I have to know a little bit more about you before we get started on this journey. So if you are interested in taking the plunge back to your intuitive eating self to improve your relationship with food in your own body so that you can really get your life back from 
negativity from disordered thoughts around food and movement, fill out this application. You can find it in the link in my Instagram bio. My handle is at Claire Tuning. It is the first link that will pop up. It is the private coaching application. Fill out that application, the application to the private goal-slaying Facebook community that you heard me talk about at the beginning of this podcast is also there. So you can join both of these communities, fill out both applications. And when you fill out that private coaching application. I will be in contact with you very soon so that you and I can schedule our first 30 to 45 minute free strategy call so we can get to know each other a little bit more. And if at the end of that call, we both feel you are a good fit for what I do in this coaching program, I would be more than happy to offer you a spot and describe everything needed to get involved with the Yours Truly family. So that being said, I'm so incredibly grateful as we celebrate this one year of being in business. As always, my friend, if there is anything that I can do for you to support you on your intuitive eating journey, do not hesitate to reach out. Send me a DM. Let me know what I can do for you. Let me know how I can add value. And if you are wondering what you can do to add value to this podcast and to really make this message grow and reach the people who need to hear it, you can leave us a five-star rating and a review, I would be so, so, so appreciative because I know there are people who come back and listen every single week because analytics tells me so, but you're not leaving ratings and reviews. So please tap that five-star rating. Leave me a review to let me know what you are learning from the podcast, what you want to hear more of. And if you're listening on any podcast platform, you can also share this episode by taking a screenshot, tagging me, and letting everybody know the laughs, the puns, the intuitive eating knowledge that you learn here on the Yours Truly podcast. So without further ado, we will talk next week and uh, happy one year, guys. Yours Truly, Claire.